Welcome to Vertical Insights, a podcast series brought to you by CA Ventures, bringing you an in-depth look at the commercial real estate industry through the lens of CA's resident subject matter experts. I'm Robert Maddock. And I'm Megan Nam, And this is Vertical Insights. Episode seven, exciting stuff today. Meg, welcome back. How are you? I am doing great, Rob. I think it is an exciting episode. This is a, a first for Vertical Insights. We're making history. Going outside. <laughs> We're going outside. We had Eric Greenfield from Pulsinelli here. And while he might not be a, a CA staffer, he's pretty darn close. Uh, he's been with the CA family for, for years and uh, kind of our, our counsel and trusted advisor. What do you think of the episode? Counselors communicating with people. That was my biggest takeaway. And I think it's a, uh, a treat for our listeners to hear not really only how Pulsinelli works directly with us, but how they work with their other clients and the great things they're doing inside the industry. Couldn't have said it better myself. Let's get to it. And for our next guest, we have with us Eric Greenfield, real estate chair from Polsonelli. Eric, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me today. I appreciate it. Oh, great to be on. Eric, we are super excited to have you because you are our first external guest here on Vertical Insights. And so this is a milestone for Rob and I. And we're also just really excited to talk to you because you've been a um, you know in the CA network for a very long time, and we really respect your position and opinions. And we've got some great questions lined up for you today. But why don't you start off by just giving us kind of a little bit about yourself, your professional background, and Pulsinelli in general? Sure. Um, well, I feel the pressure for being your first uh, out of <laughs> try to do my best. Um, my background: uh, Chicago-born guy. I started my career at Cat and Muchin years ago, was there for a couple of years, then was at Greenberg Traurig for a number of years, both places doing real estate, really focusing more on corporate real estate with the play between joint ventures and funds, both cross-border and domestic, on top of your taking down properties and um, lending both borrower side and lender side. As far as CA goes, I've been representing CA for almost 15 years now. Um, so one of the longtime uh, players with the group and have been privileged to be part of the team and watch the growth of the company over the years. As far as Pulsinelli goes, Pulsinelli is a multifaceted firm. We have just under a thousand attorneys throughout 21 offices. Um, one of the top any day of the week, one or two healthcare firms in the country, top 10 real estate firms throughout the country. The real estate team is just over 200 real estate attorneys between real estate finance and what you would call dirt or um, the JV and fund side of it. But corporate, um, a lot of private equity, a lot of securities work, kind of name and employment. There's not a ton we don't do but it's been a firm that just like CA, I've had the privilege of growing with and um, hopefully taking it to the next level and really going back to the reasons we got into this and I personally got into this to be more of a counselor to our clients 
than just that term sheet Scrivener who just turns stuff and doesn't really get to plan the business side as much. Um, Polsonelli has a different view of that. We have a different view of that. And we really look to partner with our clients and give them that little extra bit and let them know we're in it with them. That's fantastic. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate that overview. You know, I, I hate to do this to you right off the bat because it seems to be a common theme in all of our conversations for past podcasts that we don't really want to talk about it, but it finds its way in. Let's just dive right into it. COVID-19, 2020, it was a different year. Um, would love to kind of hear what were you seeing, what were you hearing from your clients um, and, and kind of your initial thoughts on the year that was 2020. Yeah, looking back, just like everyone else, um, obviously this was a new uncharted territory for us, but where we felt very common for us was going back to my earlier comment with the counseling side of it. We were in a nice position coming into a situation like this with such a strong healthcare group behind us. So at first, it was a lot of our real estate and private equity clients coming to us and asking just run-of-the-mill questions. How do I make sure the offices are clean? Do we have to make people come in? Do we not have to make people come in? Do we, what do we document? Can we you know, take their temperatures? How do we do that? And then as time went on, you know, it started to be, well, what do we do about our leases? What do we do about our buildings? What do we do about rent? And then went further for a lot of our clients to, okay, how do we get tests? How can we help our tenants, whether it's senior housing or multifamily or student or office, how, how can we help get tests or get our hands on it? A lot of that morphed into the private lab space. A lot of it morphed into just education and awareness. I think a lot of our colleagues throughout the country were really busy during um, that time and still are. And it was just doing very different stuff. But for us, it was really being there for our clients and being a partner and really finding the people that knew this stuff. And even though a lot of it was new, there was there was some good precedent on from an employment standpoint and health standpoint. So it was, look, it's it's a roller coaster, it's a wild time. And we played both counselor and sounding board and trying to help our clients really strategize from all the things we had seen out there. A lot of the times, you know, we hear from our clients that, look, you do, you see more structures than we will ever see. You see more good stuff, more bad stuff. And we want to learn from the good and bad. And, you know, you provide us enough legal information for us to make the right business decisions. And in this instance, we were seeing it from all walks of different life and essentially in the corporate world and, and private world and publicly traded companies and non-publicly traded companies. So for us, it was very busy. It was putting on a different hat no matter what time the phone was ringing. Like many, many people out there, there was no semblance of a work day, work week, and I'm not sure there is today. But I think what it really did at the end of it, and this is what I'm hopeful for, is that forget the in-person, the Zoom, the this and that. At the end of the day, people just communicated more in because they had to. And I think within larger companies we represent, 
folks were working together that had never worked together. People were reaching across the country that may not have worked with someone as much before. Everyone's goal, it wasn't, hey, look, you go build this building and you go run this fund. It was, we got to make sure this company is safe, our folks are safe, and how are we going to move forward and pivot? Um, so it was and is has been a very interesting time. And I, I think, look, out of every bad situation, I try to pull some positives. And I think there are some positives for both the corporate world and personal um, for folks to draw on. Yeah, absolutely. You touched on a lot there and it's kind of giving me flashbacks to, to early COVID days when everybody was just scrambling to to find somebody to be a guiding voice. I mean, nobody's been through something like this. And I think from a legal perspective, to be able to re- rely on precedent here and there from from whatever we can pull from was was super helpful from CA's perspective, at least working with Pulsinelli. Um, you brought up something else that was that's really interesting is this is a regional thing, right? It's, it's not like the entire country broke out at an equal pace at the same time. And so your ability to look at your team from across the country and say, what's happening there? What are you experiencing? Um, and be able to bring all those, those ideas together to disseminate them to your clients who are coming to you for advice. How did that process work internally? Yeah. Um, and, and it wasn't, you know, we had the cross country part of it, but we also, you know, a large part of my practice is cross border, both Latin America and throughout Europe, as you know. And so we, we have a lot of firms we partner with and work with and are simply an extension of us in many ways. That part of it was a lot of listening. It was a lot of empathy um, because you, you couldn't say, I understand what it's like in New York. I understand what it's like in Florida. Um, you couldn't say those things because as much as, you know, we're all in the same country, the, the states, we're all experiencing different things at different times, like you say. I remember sitting in Chicago, you know, and it's snowing and you got pictures of people on these beaches and it's packed, right? And we were wiping down our groceries and scared to bring it back and people are swimming. And, you know, it it was one of those things where you had to really take a step back, not pass judgment on people, understand that everyone has different perspectives and be empathetic. So as far as our teams were concerned, you know, in, in regions and States where we had to close our offices, we close them. Yeah, absolutely. What about from a specific real estate perspective, kind of COVID impacts? I mean, we touched a lot on the corporate stuff, but there's obviously a huge focus on this, on, on real estate and what specific questions you were getting from your clients about how do we handle this situation? A lot of those questions were, can we take temperatures? Can we force our employees to not leave the state? Can we ask them if they left the state? If we find out through social media or something that they were flying, can we, what can we do? So it was a lot of employment type related things that in many ways were touching on HIPAA and things like that. So a lot of the questions in turn were about that. Then came the questions with, well, um, my lease says this, do I have to pay? Is this a force majeure situation? Can we argue that? And depending if we're on the landlord side or the tenant side, you know, you had to be careful about that. So it was a combination of leasing stuff. It was a combination of employment stuff. And then as time kept going on and on, it started, the bank started to to reach out more and more to 
their borrowers. And we represent banks and we represent borrowers. So the questions were, how do we work this out with the banks? The banks are saying to us, how do you think we should approach us with this client? You know, the client's a great client, awesome track record, but they're, you know, behind here. So it was a balancing act with those types of questions, all related to things starting within companies, all the way out to the real estate itself and the debt surrounding it. Well, Eric, I think that's a <clears throat> perfect segue into that question. Now, you know, we talked about what was happening at the onset of COVID. Um, we're certainly not out of it yet, as Megan brought up in a, a previous episode, which a little bit disturbed me just to realize that we're still in the middle of this. But with that aside, where do you see, you know, from, I guess, your clients, both on the banking side, but also on the real estate development side, what changes have been coming from, I guess, broadly with lenders as it as you look at types of covenants and things that are going into new contracts? Sure. To be honest, I've been impressed for the mo most part with how a lot of the banks have been reacting. And the caveat to that is most of the clients we represent have really good long-term relationships with their lenders. It's not first blush and, and that kind of thing. So I think that plays a big part into what I see versus what some attorneys out there who don't have clients that have those relationships see. But, you know, it seems to be a lot of working together. You know, I, I was practicing during the last downturn and the demeanor was very different from the banks than we're getting now. Here it is definitely more of a empathetic approach. It's a let's figure this out together approach. You know, under a lot of these loan agreements, the banks have to reserve their rights. So they'll send a letter, but, you know, reserving their rights, but say, hey, we're not going to call you in default, things like that. But instead of just those letters, those letters are followed by a phone call or a phone call precedes them. And they're saying to the borrowers, hey, look, we're going to let's figure this out together. You know, we, we know we're going to come out of this. We know we're going to come out of this stronger. And, you know, we want to be your partner, but we have people to answer to as well. But I, for the most part, I've seen the banks being more and more creative and empathetic. Now, look, there are situations where more than ever, I've seen different clients we have and different you know clients I know from folks at other firms I represent where they're giving properties back. And there's you know more deed and lose than I've seen in a long, long time. It's starting with conversations that have a very different tone than they have had in previous downturns. It's one thing when markets go down in a certain area and not everyone's affected in exactly the same way. Here, the bankers, their families, you know, things they've seen, everyone was going through it together. So it's been better and more creative than I've seen in the past, but it's not you know, high fives in the banks, like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, <laughs> thank you when you pay me, you know, but the, there's a lot of forbearance agreements and they, you know, everyone, depending what side of the aisle you fall on or what news you watch, or frankly, what you believed, you know, people thought maybe this, we were going to be out of this quicker. So the forbearance agreements and the standstills and all those kind of things, the way they were drafted, we've had to revisit them two or three times. So a little bit of patience, I think, on some of the lenders is starting to wean a little bit, but they know it's not the borrowers trying to be cute about it. 
Right. I think, I mean, you touched on on something that, that we've definitely talked and felt a lot here at CA, which is that this is not easy at all, right? There's human lives involved um, before and after you, and everybody's part of a food chain here. You know, when residents are asking for forgiveness on leases or, or some sort of, um, you know, discount or whatever the case is, our staff and our investors and our lenders are also to consider. So this is a really multidimensional, complex equation, and I think Polsonelli probably has seen that. Um, from a legal perspective on all fronts, having gone through this process or, or living through this process now and having gone through a past downturn, is there anything that has shocked you? I don't think anything shocks me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll be honest. Comes with age. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, that, I just showed my age, I guess. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know if anything shocked me. I think things have surprised me, and and I know it's a subtle difference, but I'll kind of give you a couple examples. You know, where in downturns, people are scrambling and trying to find different ways to fix a solution right at that moment. A lot of our clients have taken a different approach where they're taking a step back, trying to fix that problem, but also fixing a lot of different problems that probably existed for years within their companies and not just trying to, you know, put a piece of gum on on the crack of the dam. They're really taking a holistic step back, addressing these issues, but, you know, really trying to come back stronger. And that's partially too, because of partners and banks, you know, the banks are saying, and so are our partners, um, whether it's private equity or not. Okay. I understand this is going on. But not only how are we going to make up this shortfall, how are we going to be different moving forward? Not that there'll necessarily be another pandemic. I don't know. But there'll be something. You know, it'll it'll be something. And I think what this did was speed up for a lot of people, things they had put on the back burner. The other thing that's kind of surprised me that we've experienced that I've never seen before, and it's been a little bit eye-opening, is, you know, our team is made up of all attorneys from big firms. You walk through Chicago, it's Kirkland, Mayer, DLA, all those big firms that people are like, wow, you know, those those are impressive. And for us, it's there's a lot of smart lawyers out there. You know, the, we built our team because of the types of deals we do. But more so than ever, we've had clients or partners that we've been opposite on that have used some of these larger, bigger name, more expensive firms come to us and say, hey, look, you know, we're opposite you on this deal. We've been talking to our partner who you represent, and we know that you're acting more like a partner. You're not attacking them for fees. You're really spending the time not clocking every phone call and walking them through different options and ideas you've seen. And you're being, frankly, more of a counselor in that. And, you know, we don't need our real estate attorneys to be 1200 bucks. You know, we need counselors. And I started with that term at the beginning of this call and I'm coming back to it because what has pleasantly surprised me is that the profession I'm in, which, you know, people love to make jokes and, you know, they don't like the lawyers, lawyers slow down the deals. Like we we hear all those. And for the first time that I've been practicing, people have come back full around and appreciated more the counseling side of it for those of my colleagues and myself that actually do that. So it's become more of a holistic approach where it's not just the client saying, okay, we have a deal. We have to find a lawyer so we can close. It's the clients and the lawyers and the bankers and the accountants more than ever really working together and coming up with 
better structures and communicating way more. So pleasantly surprised, but shocked. I don't know yet. I think, <laughs> like, in a positive way, in a positive way, right? It's a, not yeah. an I told, I know I told you so moments have a negative connotation, but that's, I mean, it sounds like Polsonelli's model and the way that you approach your clients is always a value proposition, but has been even more so throughout COVID. Yeah, it's, um, it's one of those things where we, we're not trying to be anyone else. We're trying to be ourselves. We're trying to be, you know, what we would look for if we were looking for counselors and counsel. And it's nice to start to hear that validation, even though, you know, you see it sometimes with deals coming in and clients coming over and, you know, these publicly traded companies that you never really imagined coming. But at the end of the day, it's as far as the shock value, I think, I, I, I don't think we're out of the woods yet on answering your question as anything shocked me. Mm. Um, so we have I, to have a part two of this episode. I think so. I, mean, <laughs> I think in the shock may be totally different than you think where I'm going. The shock could be, you know, I think everybody's looking at this and there's so many people who read clippings of articles and not the whole thing. And they're reading just, they're believing what they read only. And you look at things like the hospitality industry and you look at, you know, different sectors that people think are just dead in the water. Well, there's a whole generation of young folks out there who aren't straddled with debt right now. And they're just graduating college or, you know, mid 20s to mid 30s. And they've gotten the real estate experience. They're not straddled with debt. And, and look, you know, this country's great and humans are great, but sometimes we have a short-term memory and I wouldn't be surprised. And I believe people are going to be back on planes. They're going to be back in the offices, maybe a little bit different. They'll be back in hotels and they'll be back traveling. So I think shocking wise, I think, I think some of the stuff's going to bounce back way faster than people think. Mm-hmm. Well, I think media negativity has fed a lot of that, uh, perception, especially from our perspective. I mean, there were headlines in early COVID days, like the death of the student housing industry. I mean, that that's just media, right? They they want a good story. And, and as we've talked about in past episodes, we actually were seeing the opposite. I mean, we hit 94% occupancy in our portfolio during a year where from the press, we, we were all tanking and no one was interested in student housing. And so I think I think everything needs to be taken with a grain of salt during a time like this. And, and don't forget about those nine new deliveries that had everybody very busy last year as well, too. So it was definitely. Right. <laughs> we had right. Well, you know, it's funny. Eric knows about all of those. <laughs> people ask me a lot about student housing. And, you know, I, I get interviewed a, a lot on the topic. And what I always try to explain to them is take a step back and remember when you were in school. It wasn't just about where you were living and all that. It was so much more. It was that rite of passage. I mean, I I know a lot of people who went to Northwestern and lived very close, but didn't live at home. That student housing offers so much more than just a roof over your head. And I think that's what people were missing. So, you know, and you guys know this, when everyone was talking about it, we're looking at numbers across the board, and I'm talking to other colleagues at other firms who do student housing, they're like, look, these these kids don't want to go home because they don't want to get their parents sick. They don't have the Wi-Fi capability to do what they need to do. And frankly, they want to feel a part of that school. They want to feel a part of that campus. So 
you know, look, I was reading the same things you were reading, but then we were looking at all the real data and numbers. And in that you're right. It's just a snapshot of imagine what's really happening in some of these other industries that aren't, I'm not saying they're doing great. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. But I just think that we're going to see a bit of a bounce back. And I think people are forgetting about that next generation of developers and innovators and all these folks. I mean, if you look at what's happened, there's there's a lot of opportunity out there. You know, I, I'm still racking my brain to come up with an idea, but I'll let you know what I do. But <laughs> right now I'm surrounded by a lot of people who have great ideas and who are capitalizing on it. Well, Eric, you know, I know student was obviously something we heard a lot of. Senior was something we heard a lot of. You know, if you think about some rights of landlords, were landlords thinking differently across these asset classes too, or was it pretty similar that it was was tenant first across the board? I think um, the initial response was tenant first. I mean, look, you know, it's so easy to blame the big bad landlord, right? But that landlord has a bank knocking or investors knocking on their door. But for a moment in time, everyone stopped and was worried about people. And it was about people. It wasn't about the number of keys in your hotel or the number of beds in your student housing or senior housing or in your offices. It wasn't about CAM. It wasn't about it wasn't about all the things that we constantly talked about. It was about people and people getting really sick. And I think for a while that you're right, it didn't really depend on the product. It was, they were all kind of thinking about the people. Now, can I tell you where they think about the people? Oh my God, what if someone gets sick, I'm going to get sued versus I'm really worried about the person. I don't know. Um, I hope not. But I think over time, you know, you, you, people got a little bit desensitized. I mean, every night you turn on the news, they're giving you statistics, especially in Chicago, about Indiana, Wisconsin. You're seeing these percentages and the number of cases and the number of people dying. And it's been going on for almost a year. And I think it's hard for people to not get a bit desensitized. It's sad, but I'm not sure. So at first I think yes, but I don't think they're all thinking about it the same across product and different things. I think it's it's kind of shifted. Mm-hmm. What about from a retail perspective? I know that's one that's been really challenging. Um. Yeah. So it, it's interesting. I um. <laughs> we we represent a lot of retail, and we were lucky because we didn't have lucky in the sense that we didn't represent a ton of big box retail. We represent a lot of purpose built, fast casual product that is in, you know, trophy type of locations. And I don't only mean trophy, like, you know, Fifth Avenue kind of things. I mean, also just corridors that are very heavily packed and demographics that are tight with a lot of fast casual, frankly. So we didn't deal with a ton, ton of those kind of things. However, you know, the the big box retailers, a lot of those folks, obviously you see it, they all got hit pretty hard. For some of them, they just crushed it online. The interesting thing I think, and that I think about all the time, is what does that next part of retail look like? You know, I, I have kids and we'll walk into a mall now and it's half empty. 
And, you know, you tell them stories like, oh, my God, when I was a kid, we were here Saturday and Sunday with our friends and going to the food court and this. And they don't even know what a food court is, you know, anymore. They're like, a food hall? Like, you know, like no, it wasn't exactly like your food hall downtown. Um, so I, that's, I, a, that's a phrase that I never thought would date you, but. Oh, my is. God. I mean, a food court. So embarrassing, um, Dad. <laughs> yeah, it's it is. They don't even want to be seen with me. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, no one's in the mall to even see us. But um, <laughs> so, you know, it's it, it's different. I'm not I'm not the expert on retail at all. But what I do think is at some level, probably a high level, certain retail is going to always exist. There'll be new players into the market. And again, you're dealing with humans. So sure, online is easy and sure that, but sometimes people like to try on a pair of shoes and it's not always about going back to like, you know, a little bit of a similar thing with student housing. The whole retail setting wasn't, isn't always about buying something, you know, I mean, I'm sure anyone listening, there's times where, you know, you you haven't been with your mom, your dad, your friend, you want to catch up on a Saturday afternoon. What are you going to do? And, you know, you go shopping, you walk a mall, you walk, you know, whatever your downtown areas are to look in stores and play around. And so it's so much more than that socially. And I, I just, I, I believe it will come back. It may look different. It may feel different, but I don't think it's going away. And I don't think it's only going online. Eric, all I have to say is that your ability to speak on all of these different investment strategies and asset classes in such detail is clearly a reflection of who you and Polsonelli are. Um, that counselor blushing, model, thank you. the counselor model versus just a lawyer model is absolutely fantastic. So thank you for that. Thank you. Very kind. You know, we, uh, we started this podcast and if you've listened to any of them, and I know our listeners probably get confused every time I do this. I started the first one out with, where do you see yourself in 12 months? Then I realized I was talking to people trying to build businesses and not just an annual portfolio. And it became more so, where do you see yourself in three to five years? For you, I think that's a little bit of a tougher question to ask. So I'm going to say, as we're talking about what we're doing coming out of COVID here, what are your predictions really moving forward? And these can be very bold predictions. What do you see going through for the rest of the year and kind of into 2022 as hopefully we come out of COVID? Yeah, I... um funny. I've been asked that question three times, I think, in the past week. I think, again, I look at the world in industries, and I know you guys do too. So to give you, you know, an overcompassing answer, I think third and fourth quarter are going to be very strong. And people need to remember that comment is conditioned on strong compared to what? Last 30, you know, last year? Yeah, we're going to crush it. But no, I, I really believe third and fourth quarter in the U.S. will be very strong across a multitude of industries. The banks, you know, we're seeing way more movement. Private equity, there's so much money sitting on the sideline. Just like families, you know, were tied up in their houses and have all this savings now that they weren't spending going out for dinner and this and that, and they're either fixing up homes and things these private equity groups and family offices weren't spending either. And that money doesn't do them a ton of good sitting in their bank accounts, you know? So I think you'll see, I think it's very positive. And I think what you're also going to see, which is one of the most more exciting things in my little nerdy real estate 
mind is life sciences and medical office and laboratories and these incubators, which Chicago is a hotbed for, you know, like um, Accelerate back a few years ago, just like that, these accelerator, these um, incubators are popping up with these scientists and just people in the healthcare industry and building these campuses together. And I think that that's going to pick up some of the slack of some of your empty office space. Although people have this misconception, we can just take an office space and convert it to, you know, life science and we're good to go. And they forget, you know, there's life safety issues, there's ventilation, so there's a million things. But there are so many things like that, industrial. I mean, we are doing more MOB, true life science, and everyone throws the term around differently, um, and industrial deals than I've ever, ever seen. So as much as people you know, are talking about retail down and this down, there are other sectors that are just crushing it. So I'm bold on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say third, fourth quarter. But I'll be honest with you, if you really needed a solid answer, I think you're going to see a strong pickup at the um, second quarter here. Um, I love in, it. In, Speak in, it into reality, Eric. That's yeah, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't look, I think your listeners probably are like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. Of course, we're going to see that. That's obvious. But, you know, some sectors are going to be slower, but we're, you know, in a lot of a lot of people are going to see some big changes in hiring pickup and so forth and so on. We really appreciate the conversation. We really appreciate the perspective. Thank you, uh, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope to speak to you again soon.